It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Gabe DeArmond and Mitchell Forty here. Uh, four days later, I almost have a full voice, so good <laughs> thing we did not do a podcast prior to today. We're going to talk with Josh Helmholt, the Midwest analyst for Rivals.com. Josh, uh, you probably don't know this because I just realized that you have the honor of being the guest on our 300th podcast, so I don't know if you want to update your resume, but that's kind of a big deal. I want to know why it took 300 shows for you to ask me to be on. Hey, you've been on this before, I think. Probably. I think I've been a rare, rare guest if I have. Well, I think it's been a long time. We save you for the uh, milestone episodes. So, uh, <laughs> all right, just just first things uh, first, we're going to start by kind of talking about Missouri and, and then going a little bit more big picture. But obviously, Missouri is going to recruit a, a lot of the schools that, that you cover on a regular basis in the Midwest for rivals. Do you have any early impressions in, in talking to people kind of uh, what they think of Eli Drinkwitz and the staff he's put together at Missouri? No, I think right now it's wait and see. I mean, uh, there hasn't been a lot of time for him to make an impression. Came in, had that big recruiting weekend right before the December signing period, and I think did a good job. I mean, they were able to hold on to some guys that were definitely not sure what they were going to do until they met Drinkwitz and got a chance to really feel if this was still the right spot for them. I know they had a junior day here recently, and I've not gotten a chance to dig in with some of those guys that have been there just because of the late signing period and everything that's going on then. Uh, but it's really going to be this spring that we get a chance to kind of get a feel for um, who he is as a recruiter and how effective he will be. But to be honest with you, I think that that video that went viral yesterday, I think that is going to be uh, one of his really things that he can hang his hat on for the recruiting process. Cause what kid doesn't want to have a coach that excited about him? You know what I mean? That's going to be, kids are going to see that they're going to gravitate towards that. They're going to say, I want my coach to be as excited about me as coach Drinkwitz was about picking up being a Shaw. Yeah, obviously you mentioned that, that video that leads kind of perfectly into my next question. That was the big news of the day yesterday was Texas cornerback Ennis Rakestraw picking uh, Mizzou over Alabama and Texas. And, you know, I don't know how much you really got a chance to evaluate Ennis Rakestraw. I know you're more based in the Midwest, but just generally speaking, I mean, you've, you've been covering recruiting a long time. How rare is it to see a school the caliber of Missouri beat out schools like, you know, Alabama, Texas, and even to a lesser extent, Georgia, who had offered their uh, for, for a kid? Yeah, and I think you definitely see it happen. But for kids in their own backyard, to go into Texas's backyard against a team like Alabama that has recruited, especially in this cycle, the state of Texas really well. And obviously they have a recruiting machine that's pretty impressive over there at Alabama, like seven straight team recruiting rankings titles. That's what's the the most impressive part is not that, they recruited against those teams and won. It's that they went into Texas's backyard, went into a place where Alabama, the Alabama brand is strong, went into a place that, you know, their brand is not particularly strong, um, certainly compared to those two schools, and were able to pull a prospect uh, like Rake Straw. I think that, to me, says the most about that, that pickup yesterday. 
All right, I'm going to open the floor now for you to be as uh, defensive, conciliatory, angry, whatever as you want to be. I, I crack up um, because I always say, like, the, the rankings on one individual kid really don't matter. But nonstop, the argument against rivals is, well, this kid's a four-star or a five-star because he has Alabama and, and Texas offers. But immediately, Missouri picks up a kid like Ennis Rakestraw, and the blowback is, well, how's he only a three-star? He has offers from Texas and Alabama. So, uh, you know, just the dichotomy of it cracks me up. Um, you know, in, any insight into uh, – first of all, if you just want to let fans know, like, if that enters into the process, because you're involved in the process, and I'm really not. Well, it doesn't. I mean, a lot of people think it does because, well, this kid – we don't rank <clears> – <throat> Excuse me, we don't <coughs> we don't rank based on on offers. Well, <coughs> take a breath, man. That. It's okay. I didn't mean to get yeah, you this no, fired I, up about it. <laughs> no, as soon as it got something caught in the throat, but I think we'll be good. Um, we don't rank based on on offers, and and if we did, it would be a totally different thing. But so many things come into play with an offer that don't necessarily translate to the prospect's ability. One of those being, and in, in, in many cases, location. A kid from Florida is going to get more offers than a kid from South Dakota, even if those kid, two kids are equally talented. So it's not an indicator of potential and ability. I had not had a chance to evaluate Rakestraw. It just wasn't, you know, obviously my region being the Midwest, he's in Texas. He just wasn't a guy that, and I've seen a lot of Texas guys, and I've seen, you know, but I hadn't seen him. So I can't speak to his rating uh, specifically, but shoot, I mean, we've ranked kids that committed to group of five schools, four stars, and we rank kids that commit to SEC schools, two stars. That certainly uh, happens. It's based on the individual and, and his potential at the next level. And, you know, in the case of Rigstraw, you know, I know he came on late in the process, and you'll get more offers when you're a guy like that because teams are looking to, to strike you know, catch lightning in a bottle late in the process. They have a need. They haven't addressed. Maybe it came available because um, the, you know, something happened during the season, injury, kid leaving, you have a new opportunity, you get more, uh, you, you want to try to fill that spot with something that could be potentially exceptional. And so that's definitely going to happen. You're going to have, you know, guys that really uh, explode towards the end of the process when most kids are committed. Uh, but in this situation, um, you know, I hadn't got a chance to evaluate him specifically, so I can't speak to his rating. But just in general, uh, we rate based on who this player is going to be at the next level. Josh, certainly the the state of Missouri is part of your area that you uh, that you really look at, and you know the conversation we always have with Missouri is how well they can recruit in the state, and especially in the St. Louis area, which has really turned out some talent this past year, and especially now that this new staff's taken over, they've really made a, a point to emphasize that at least in the press conferences, is saying you know we need to re recruit this state better than we ever have. Um, just you know, I know you said you haven't <clears throat> really got a chance to get to know this staff and get a, a feel for their kind of abilities, but but just generally speaking, what what do you feel like is is kind of the ceiling or what's a, a realistic expectation for for Missouri doing well in the state of Missouri? I mean I mean, you know, can they fill out almost a whole class out of there? Can they get like a whole top ten? Is there always gonna be kids who are who are looking elsewhere, especially in the St. Louis area that's really gotten a lot of exposure? What what's a realistic kind of thought for for Missouri recruiting the state well? 
my my advice my advice for recruiting strategy in general to every recruiting staff has always been this and that is you know build your base in your backyard where you have an advantage where you're able to pull higher level of talent and also with kids that understand your program and understand your traditions and can help build that chemistry within your locker room and then from there go and cherry pick you know top prospects from other areas where you might have some connections so with Missouri talking about that in their press conference that they are going to focus on the in-state guys or at least what you would call the backyard guys the guys that you know are in that radius where your brand has influenced like it you know compared to other brands or compared to other places in the country that's important that's a good sign St. Louis is definitely on an uptick of talent. Kansas City's on an uptick of talent. You're seeing both of those regions, both of those metro areas, starting to really get some national exposure too. A lot of schools coming in. Look at Texas A&M went into St. Louis, got two of the top guys this year. You you want to protect home base, um, and you want to be able to, you know, land the guys in your region that you should be landing, and from there. You build upon that foundation, and that's going to spell long-term success for recruiting. Looking forward, Josh. I know all of us that cover this stuff already have done a decent amount of paying attention to 2021 kids, and and in kind of that that area that you know that Missouri's going to recruit. I mean, any anybody that's really jumped off the page to you, not whether they're going to Missouri or going somewhere else, or have no idea that. Are, are there any guys in this area that you look at and say, this is this is a kid who's going to have a lot of attention, you know, really kind of jumps toward the top of your just early evaluations for 2021? Yeah, I mean, yeah, St. Louis is deep again. And and the guy out there that when I – you talk about get excited about, it's J.K. Johnson over at the Smet. Played last year, you know, opposite of five-star wide receiver Jordan Johnson who went up to Notre Dame. This kid is long, he's athletic, he's fast, and he's a ball hawk. And we've got him right now, the number 29 player in that 2021 class. Went down to the Feature 50 event in Florida, had a great showing there against top guys. He's a big-timer. He's national. He's he's legit. Uh, but, you know, even further down the list, I was talking about Kansas City. There was a kid at Lincoln College Prep. I've never even heard of Lincoln College Prep. Didn't even know it was a program over there. They don't put out a lot of talent, but uh, defensive end over there who's starting to blow up by the name of Tobechi Okoli. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but it's pretty close. And, I mean, you've got a group of players in this 2021 class that I think is as deep as as we've seen. Connor Tolleson's an offensive lineman out of Jackson, Missouri. That's starting to really blow up, pick up a, a ton of offers. You have guys like that all throughout, you know, and look at what Missouri is able to do, strike early with a guy like Makai Wingo, teammate of J.K. Johnson over there at the Smet. Um, I think that's a good start. You want to be able to uh, have some advocates on your behalf among the recruits, and, and getting a guy like Makai Wingo early on is, is, is very meaningful. Well, real quick, uh, before uh, we kind of finish up, uh, Lincoln College Prep, high school home of uh, Charles Harris, who nobody had ever heard of, and then, Went on to be a first-round draft pick of the Dolphins out of Missouri. So that's the only reason I've ever heard of him. Um, it was before my time when I was covering yeah. uh, the state of Missouri. Josh, shifting gears a little bit and taking a look just kind of at, at the recruiting process as a whole, you, you wrote a column uh, yesterday that, that was really interesting. You don't have to certainly break down the entire thing. I encourage people to go look for it. It, it was about basically how the – 
early signing period needs to go. Um, just just kind of give a, a quick synopsis as to, to the reasons you, you feel like it does a disservice to the kids. Well, I think an example is, is probably, you know, it displays it better. And there's been multiple examples over the years. But in that first recruiting uh, early recruiting period, that early signing period we had, it was actually the 2018 class, but it happened December 2017. Mark D'Antonio came out and said what everybody else, what every other head coach was doing, and that is he told his commits, if you don't sign with us now, you're not committed. In other words, the early signing period was sold as an opportunity for those kids who wanted to end the process early to do so and those kids that wanted to still sign in February could also do so. But that wasn't the reality. The reality is kids are forced, pressured, strong-armed into signing in that early signing period, which also occurs smack dab in the middle of the coaching carousel. That's ironic that Mark D'Antonio is one of the most extreme, you know, uh, obvious examples. He steps down as head coach after – Uh, signing 19 players in the early signing period after getting three more kids to commit to him and now leaves all of those guys with an uncertain future. If there is only one signing period, if it is that February signing period, the bulk of the coaching changes are going to happen before kids have to sign their letters of intent. So that was kind of the crux of my argument for returning just to one signing period and that signing period being their traditional signing period that starts on the first Wednesday in February. Wrap you up with one more on this. Uh, So it doesn't really help the kids. I don't think it helps the coaches because they're hosting official visits in May. Who the hell is helped by this early signing period? Like, I I don't – and is there any chance the NCAA just says – or the coaches say, yeah, we screwed up. We're going to change this. They don't don't say that very often. I do think that. But like you said, who does it help? Uh, obviously, the coaches, you look at you know, Missouri and the situation they have. How much better would the class have been if Drinkwitz was able to pursue the full allotment of available um, Power 5 you know, power five caliber prospects? 85% were signed in the early signing period, and those guys are off the board. Uh, so college coaches going through coaching changes, it hurts. Like you mentioned, they're recruiting heavier and harder in the spring than they – uh, used to, but you know when I looked at back at this, uh, they really they had to pass this as a bulk because they couldn't get widespread support. So they put it in with a bunch of other things like adding a tenth assistant coach, and like Congress does, you know they put pork into into the bills that they pass. This was kind of the pork of NCAA legislation, and it has now created a situation where, like you said, uh, nobody benefits from it, and it's the 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 negatives are, are certainly obvious and continue to be highlighted more and more each year. All right. Well, Josh, appreciate your time, man. I, I promise like episode 400, we're going to call you again. <laughs> <laughs> How about 365? And then I, pre- now I feel like I've been on once every day of the year. <laughs> All right. Sounds Thanks, good, Josh. man. Appreciate it. Josh Helmholt, uh, Midwest analyst for rivals.com. And uh, look, I agree with him on the, I've always said early signing period, make it in July. Yeah. Just make it for kids that, hey, you don't get official visits. You don't get to do any of that stuff. You know where you're going. You want it done. The coaches know they want you. Cool. Do that. But this mm-hmm. December, February thing is stupid, and it's right. not good for anybody. Yeah. I think, and, you know, Josh even argues in his column 
and I, I could see this. Yeah, I, I'm a, I agree if they're going to have an early signing period, make it sooner. But he's a, he kind of argues they're just going to do the same thing. They're just going to continue to push the calendar forward and strong arm as many kids as possible into signing, saying, you know, if you don't sign now, we, we can't guarantee you're going to have this spot. I, I kind of think, you know, the only – I like the idea of, of maybe having one signing period and, and maybe finding a way where – before that time, though, you can sign something. Maybe, maybe it's not an NLI, but it's some sort of agreement that says, you know, look, I, you know, maybe a financial aid agreement. Like, you know, I, I intend to come to this place unless there's a change of head coach or something like that. Um, and you can just do that, like maybe, you know, maybe not right after a visit. Maybe there's like a cooling off period, but you're able to just kind of decide on your own terms. You know, I just I want my recruitment to be done. And that was what they said, at least, was the you know intention of the original early signing period was, you know, kids who wanted to be done being recruited could just wrap it up sooner. But obviously that hasn't really happened. Yeah. So this class, uh, you know, Eli Drinkwitz's first class, look, we've known since November 30th, like it's not going to look great on paper. It's not going to be big. It was actually even probably a little smaller than we anticipated because nobody's left yet. Yeah. I know you wrote a little bit about, um, you know, how, how Missouri might not be done with this class. Mm -hmm. I look at this, there has to be a grad transfer defensive end somewhere. Like, yeah. that needs to happen this spring when a spot opens up. Other than that, I, I, I don't know. I'm going to break down some of what they might look at this spring and then in the 2021 class. But I, I, I think he addressed wide receiver very well. But defensive <laughs> line is now the – oh my God spot because they, they lose eight guys after next year. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, your your number one priority for offseason additions probably defensive line. I think number two is probably offensive line where they lost three starters and they just, there's not a lot of proven, you know, pieces there and they certainly didn't bring in anyone who you would expect to contribute right away so far in the recruiting class um but yeah it, it's interesting you know like we we knew this wasn't gonna like this this class wasn't gonna kill in the recruiting rankings and was gonna be a little bit smaller um just because the the time limitations and the scholarship issue with the ncaa sanctions he did you know i think i mean like i think people are are generally you know, at least people who follow this closely and are Missouri fans are pretty impressed with the the few of the pieces he was able to get in a short time. I mean, Damon Hazelton is a proven guy at a, at a real position of need. Obviously, Ennis Rakestraw, you know, he, maybe he can contribute right away, but I think more than, you know, more than anything, obviously, the excitement is just, like Josh said, going out of state to beat, a tex beat Texas for a Texas kid and beat Alabama. Um, you know, there's there's certainly a few other guys like, like Ben Key, who has the potential to come in and contribute right away. So, obviously, time will tell, but I think, you know, those people who, who were looking at this realistically and who pay attention understood the, the challenges he was up against and probably feel like he did a pretty good job, all things considered. Yeah, we generally try to keep this thing to 30, 35 minutes, so that means we've got about, you know, another 10 to 15 to talk about uh, football, and we'll wrap up with 12 seconds on Missouri <laughs> basketball. Um, but I, this is our, I don't know, third or fourth chance to to talk to Drinkwitz. I had a chance to, uh, to meet the assistants on Monday, and – Look, everything outside of 12 Saturdays, maybe up to 14 or 15 Saturdays, everything else that college coaches do is PR. Mm -hmm. And, like, I give this staff credit. They're really good at the PR part. Mm -hmm. um, I think Eli Drinkwitz is good behind a microphone. I mean, I, I was actually impressed yesterday when we asked questions, he actually answered them yeah. about the recruiting process and about kids. And he got a couple jabs in at some other schools and. You know, most coaches, are they refuse to acknowledge that any of these kids had any other offers. They got all 15 of the top guys on their board, all that. 
he was saying, like, hey, there were some other schools after this kid, and there was a school down to the south that yeah. that offered every kid we wanted and things like that. I mean, it, PR doesn't win games, but he can't win games right now, so I, he's doing what he can do. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, right for Missouri, that's really important right now because they need to put people in seats. I mean, we talked about it on this podcast last week, the issues with ticket sales. And, and you know, the more excitement, obviously, you have for, for a new head coach, the more tickets you're going to sell. Um, I, I think, yeah, I mean – you know he, he's he does he's he's not going to say anything like crazy outlandish. He's not Mike Leach. Um, he, he talks in some you know kind of coaching cliches sometimes, but he absolutely addresses the question that is asked to him. He you know he, he doesn't mince his words, which is nice for us. He, he's not going to stand up there and, and just talk in circles. And he he really I think the best the thing that that struck me most is he really seems to understand social media. I mean, you know he let himself be filmed having a crazy reaction to a, a three star recruit, and probably you know part of him knows, man, like that's going to blow up. But like it's a, like just said, yeah. it's great publicity. It's amazing publicity for Missouri. I mean, you know <clears throat> Missouri. Uh, SID tweeted out this morning the the views like that's got more views in their past like 35 videos combined I mean it, it totally went viral so uh, you know and he 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 get, tweets himself quite a bit you know tweets out a picture of, of Whataburger like he, he shows some personality in a way that I think a lot of coaches are really scared to do um, but I, I think that can absolutely help you relate to both fans and recruits. Well and I think there's a real simple explanation and we're gonna see it more and more I've said on some radio interviews and stuff this week He's the first coach that I think has ever been hired at Missouri in any sport who social media has always been a thing when mm -hmm. he was a coach. I mean, Odom, Pinkle, Conzo, even Robin Pinchon, all these coaches, they were coaches before Twitter mm -hmm. and before Instagram and all that. And now he's just like this has always been a thing he's probably needed to do as a coach, so he's just more comfortable doing it. And then it, some of it you can't fake. I, I get the impression – that like this really is him he's showing his actual personality because I have covered 20 or 17 years of football coaches at Missouri who like it's not saying anything bad about them but their personality was more sometimes they had to tell you when they were telling a joke yeah. right because it just wasn't them yeah I and I don't think you can fake that video with Rakestraw I mean the first thing he does is go chest bump Ryan Walters and then he <laughs> screams and hugs David Gibbs and yeah these are guys that were on Barry Odom's staff, and there could be some awkwardness, but I really – I think this is actually him. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, just having – you know, you occasionally have people reach out to you and tell you about their encounters with him. I, I've heard nothing but positive things. Uh, everyone talks about his energy, his infectiousness. Like you said – that does not matter in the long term. Uh, it's going to come down to his wins and losses. As but long as you he have goes to... 15 and 0, it's going to be a big <laughs> right. But yeah, absolutely. That is, you know, I mean, that like I said earlier, that's what you want if you're Missouri right now because you need to get people excited about this coach in this program. No question. Then the assistant coaches, I know you were were traveling and didn't have a chance to be there. Um, but you know, Curtis Looper is a guy I think fans are really going to like. Uh, Casey Woods is a guy I think fans are really going to like. If you listen to Casey Woods talk, you just immediately go, well, that guy's from Alabama, <laughs> you know, which which I like. Um, we all know Brick Haley has a little bit of personality about him. Um, Marcus Johnson, the offensive line coach, has already caught Brad Davis in interviews, so I like that. Yep. I mean, again, I, I don't know that you ever are going to meet an assistant coach in day one go, well, yeah, this isn't going to be anything I like. But, uh, you know, they've done what they can do. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I think – I, I was kind of interesting and probably a little savvy that that 
Drinkwitz took some some time to really highlight Looper yesterday, and and I think you know a few people have kind of pointed this out. People who are really diehard football fans, like man, that was kind of a good hire for Mister. Like I think Drinkwitz kind of wants people to know, like, hey, this guy is like a really big time recruiter. We're putting him in St. Louis. We're putting him in Dallas, and uh, and and like you know he. You know, not every program has necessarily a, a Curtis Looper level recruiter. So, um, yeah, that that certainly, you know, we said for a long time, you're only as good as the place you're recruiting to. But uh, I think I think he's the type of guy who can, you know, really kind of push that theory to its limit and see and how 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 good Missouri can recruit. Well, and the interesting thing about Looper was he said he reached out to Drinkwitz about mm-hmm. a job at Missouri. Now. I'm not sure exactly when that happened because I think people get their timelines a little bit confused. You know, DJ Smith, who was at Appalachian State, said, you know, we coached a conference title game. And then I think about a week later, he heard from Missouri. No, it was actually that night. So, you know, these things get jumbled up a little bit. But, but yeah, I think he's put together a staff that should have people excited. Uh, You know, spring football is, will, I don't know, it's spring football. I don't know how (laughs) much we'll necessarily be able to tell. But the next thing is, hey, are are we going to get to, kind of be around this and know what's going on or Mm -hmm. is this going to be like Barry Odom's first year and I understand all the reasons Odom did it but it was hey you're not really going to see anything and a lot of revisionist history going on from people saying I love having access to things who I remember during Barry Odom's first year we're going good I don't care if he ever talks to you guys as long as he wins games right yeah I mean everyone's generally excited about everything the new coach does and until he loses some games but yeah we'll see um you know even if we watch spring football like there's no telling I mean it's hard it's hard to glean a whole lot but just anytime you know we get chatting with uh the players and the new assistants certainly will, will give us some insight into into how that's all progressing all right, so uh, speaking of progressing, um, Missouri basketball season is progressing. Missouri Maybe basketball, regressing. not really so much progressing. <laughs> um, I mean, two just really uncompetitive losses. Uh, I guess they were competitive for a little bit at Texas A&M, but Texas A&M is like a, not a very good team that didn't play very well and beat Missouri by double digits. Um, and – I think that game, the South Carolina game, whatever, I, I thought that was a loss from day one this season because yeah. Missouri never plays well there. Mm-hmm. And coming off that game against Georgia, I actually told people I will be stunned if they're not down double digits in the first half because mm-hmm. I don't think they're good enough to put back-to-back games together. But the A&M one, I mean, you look at A&M, I think that's what Missouri fans would like to see. Like, they're supposed to be the worst team in this league. They're 5-4 and four in league play. Like, they've shown some signs that, hey, this isn't where we want to be. But there are things to indicate you should feel good. What do Missouri basketball fans feel good about right now? Uh, I mean, really, there's nothing, and and I don't blame them. And like, look, I you know, I, I know there's been a lot of disappointment this season. You know, the, the loss to Charleston Stubber obviously is the worst on paper. There's there were a lot of losses that frustrated people, and and throughout all those, I'm just kind of like, okay, you know. It's not. It's a lost season. That stinks. I get why you're disappointed, but like we'll see. The jury's still obviously out, and and I certainly believe that you know the jury is still out on Consul Barton. Of course, we've yeah. said he's got plenty of time. But this past game at, at Texas A&M was the first time where I really felt like it was a red, like major red flags. You know, his team they're they're they got a season sweep against Texas A&M, who's not good. Totally rebuilding. You know still in the 170s in Ken Palm, even though they have a, a winning conference record. And and it wasn't just that Missouri, you know, didn't shoot the ball well, which of course they didn't, but they got total, I mean, Texas A&M totally out-physicaled them, dominated them on the glass. You know, Mizzou had just some 
very sloppy loose ball turnovers. And Conzo Martin was, I mean, you you almost had to wonder, and you texted me this during the game, like, has he lost this team? I mean, he was mad. He got a technical foul. He played Axel Okongo and Evan Yerkes in the last few minutes just kind of as a point to some some players who typically play more. Like, that's that's concerning. Yeah, and they got beat on what Conzo always says are the effort things. Mm-hmm. Defense and rebounding are just tryhards. Yeah. And look, I'm never going to use the Q word, but watching that game was the first time I thought, I wonder if everybody's still all in on this. And and like, it's, it's fair to think, I mean, you look at Parker Brown, you look at Trey Jackson and they're sitting over there going, I can't get on the floor for this team. Yeah. I mean, the, after the last game of the year, our big question to everybody is just going to be, are you coming back? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think, I think their biggest problem is talent. Uh, I think, you know, the last few games have showed, like, it, they're so easy to defend right now that you just you just make them shoot from outside, and they don't have enough guys who can make shots, and they don't have anyone, really, who can drive the ball and beat, uh, you know, a defender or a double team to get a bucket at the rim. I think that's the biggest problem. But, I mean, even, you know, a team like Texas A&M is the perfect example. They're not that talented either, but they're still able. I mean, this is not like a world-beater I mean, league. This is right. not that good of a league. You should be able to win some games just on, you know, having some bounces go your way and fighting till the end. Yeah, they're less talented than LSU, Auburn, Kentucky. We get that. The issue against South Carolina and, and Texas A&M should not be talent. I mean, God love Mike Coatsar, but he's not the most <laughs> talented guy in America. Right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know. They, like we said, they we're not we're not even talking about, you know, firing anybody. It's because not possible. Right. Um there will be time to to fix this. But yeah, like you said, I just don't know what you feel good about because, you know, h- how do you fix kind of at the point right now there's so many things going wrong, there's so many issues. How do you fix all that in a year? And and that's said, like, look, this season's over. We've said it for 2 weeks, but from a program perspective, you can't go like one and eight down the stretch. I mean, you've yeah. got to show some fight. Here. Yeah. You like Arkansas at home rally for Ryan game on Saturday. Missouri wins that game every year. No matter how bad they are, they've beaten Arkansas at home. If they come out and get blown off their home court against Arkansas, it's time to start saying, are they, what's going on? Here? Yeah. I am glad you mentioned the rally for Ryan game. I forgot about oh, yeah. that. Uh, definitely. We've, you know, just spent a few minutes kind of uh, talking discouragingly <laughs> about the program. I don't blame anyone who doesn't want to watch them play, but if like if that's you're a, going to a if game. you're going to a game, that's a good one. It's always, I mean, it's always you know emotional. It's for a really good cause, uh, and it, you know it, it is actually. I mean, that's also you know a decent game. Arkansas is a pretty good team and and a, a local rival. Two thirty on a Saturday. If you're gonna pick one, hey, thank you. I now know what time the game is. I wasn't sure. I'm happy <laughs> it's not at night. Also, you might actually be able to get to this game because uh, the weather might at least be warm enough to allow you to drive. So, signing day in the books, um, you know, a couple weeks, or, well, I guess more than a couple weeks, a few weeks left in basketball season. Uh, we will continue to cover that leading up to spring football, which I guess is probably just five or six weeks March away. March 7th is what Drinkwood said yesterday, first practice. Ooh, that's really early. It is, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm ready for that. <laughs> I All mean, right. I don't know. It's not like we're uh, deep into the basketball coverage yeah. at this I, point. I, I guess we don't have a choice. I'm, I'm trying to watch NFL Films documentaries about the <laughs> Super Bowl for the next month, so let me know when it starts. All right, so uh, thanks for listening. Episode number 300. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll just uh, rest on our laurels. Maybe we'll do 301 next week, but we'll talk to you later.